evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fugae to Fugazi. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss FD from 1998 album End Hits is Oliver Kogod, who is a listener to the podcast and who emailed me offering to give, uh, quote, a younger person's take on Fugazi and uh, and told me that, you know, he just turned 20. And I thought, you know, sure, why not torture myself, make myself feel old, do things like imagine how uh, this young man was like two years old when Fugazi stopped playing, <laughs> things like that. So, uh, Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. I'm sorry that I uh, I might make you feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's it's true. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, um, I think there's a lot of value in that. I, it's it's not often that I I talk to people who are around 20 years old at all these days, mm-hmm. a, a, let alone about a bands like Fugazi. I guess I wanted to ask you. Do other to what extent do other people your age even know about them? Um, how did you first hear about them and get into them yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that I find really sad is that not a lot of people I know or the or young people in general I would assume that most of them don't listen to Fugazi or if I if I'm meeting someone for the first time I'm like oh yeah my favorite band is Fugazi they they usually don't have any idea who I, what I'm talking about. And that makes me sad um, sometimes, but it's great having this online community of people and the podcast, which I'm a big fan of, because like I have learned that there are people, they might be a little bit older than me, um, there are people who like us and love Fugazi as much as I do. So that's assuring for me. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I said something like this on a previous episode, but part of me wonders how, you know, since Fugazi never made t-shirts i like i really wonder how much of a part that plays in a a younger generation knowing that kind of music because i like i've seen my uh like my wife's little cousin who's in a freshman in high school or something like that like she'll be wearing a kiss t-shirt and she has no idea about that it's a band or or that they have songs but it's still like (laughs) because it's sort of a cool t-shirt um like i i wonder if that has any bearing on the sort of older bands that a young person will discover just if they see the iconography out there um as and that's something that doesn't exist for fugazi yeah definitely i think that's a really great point um one of my pet peeves is people who wear band t-shirts and don't know the band um so i am someone who wears a lot of those shirts and whenever someone compliments me i always have a g- good conversation with them about the band uh but yeah definitely with fugazi like if they had t-shirts, I wonder if more uh, people who are young would know them. <laughs> what, what, um, just to, just to calibrate my sense of things a little bit, um, yeah. what, are, what are other bands that you're into and, and some of your friends are really into these days? So, honestly, I don't listen to a lot of current or modern music. I, I seem to kind of joke about it, but my friends who are much more culturally hip and aware of what is popular, it's a lot of like rap um, hip hop, I guess some pop stuff, but it's like t- whatever's on the billboard, like that's what they like. And that's just not really my stuff. Well, I guess in that case, maybe I won't feel as old talking to you as I thought, because yeah, one of those things is like, I, as, in particular, looking at the lineups for music festivals in recent mm-hmm. years, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, like it, it happens 
seemingly overnight that I was like, wait a minute, I don't know who most of these people are at all. And, like, I'll, and, and I'm like, there's a band who I know who they are, but they're like on the third line down of bands on this poster, and I don't know who the bands are above them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know when that happened, but it did. Yeah, it's it's definitely a weird a weird thing. And being someone who I feel like I should know the stuff, but just because I don't enjoy listening to it, I am so like totally ignorant and unaware of it. I think it's kind of funny. Um. So, uh, how how did you get into Fugazi? Do you remember where you first heard of them? Yeah, there are two specific people that got me onto the track of listening to Fugazi. They didn't get me into Fugazi. But they got they put they pointed me in the right direction. One of them was my bass teacher. Um, I play bass guitar, and I take lessons with a guy named Bill. And Bill had some Fugazi CDs <laughs> that he was borrowing from a friend because he wanted to burn them. Um, and he said, "Take these and burn them if you want." So I was like, "Sure, what? Why not?" So I had those, and then like I had them stashed in iTunes for many years, but never got around to them. And secondly, my old babysitter an irish woman named kathy who took care of me and my sister as very young children she saw fugazi when she was in college and she like would always tell me how about how that was the most life-changing show for her so she kind of planted that seed in my mind um but i think i actually discovered them or got into listening to them on my own because i was really into minor threat and it was a psychological sequence of going from that dc hardcore stuff to the later uh, i would say more thoughtful music from dc so that's how i got into fugazi well that's great yeah it's um nice to talk to a fellow bass player and uh admirer mm. of joe lally i imagine oh, yeah <laughs> my favorite the absolute best that's great um and i i see i saw recently that he is uh actually giving bass lessons himself online I didn't know if I was supposed to mention this or not because I know he's busy because I've actually been taking lessons with him once every two weeks um, through Skype. And he, he keeps telling me he's really busy. So I was like, I don't know if I should mention that for the listeners because if they don't know and they want to do lessons, there's going to be so many more people for him to uh, try to schedule in. He's got a waiting list. Uh, I mean, hey, <laughs> if, if they have to wait, they have to wait. I'm sure that yeah, can't be bad for business. Are you patient, Are you having a good patient. time? That sounds pretty awesome. I am. It is really awesome. Um, and he's such like a sweet and nice guy and a great teacher. And I'm learning a lot, um, even though it's kind of hard to do over like Skype, but it it works out and it's fun. I like was like, oh, can you show me these Fugazi songs? And a couple of days later, I was video chatting with him and he was like, this is how I played them. And it was really cool seeing the originator of them. That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I, I might have to do that at some point myself because that yeah. does sound really great. <laughs> yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Right. Well, today Oliver and I are talking about the song called FD, F slash D. Pretty interesting title for this one. I don't know. Do you, do you think that's the, that's the first thing we should talk about with this song? Yeah, and I, I looked on the Facebook page, and I know some people were wondering about it, so I think we should jump in with it. Yeah, you have any ideas there? I've I've done a little bit of research online, um, and you know, like genius lyrics I found is helpful. And I don't know if a fan wrote it or who wrote like a description of a song next to the lyrics, and they claim that it's FD as in um, 
first demo. Uh huh. But I I didn't find that anywhere else online. It was just this one contributor on Genius.com. So I I don't know. What are your thoughts? Because it's it's open to me. I have no idea. Yeah, I think I actually read that myself. Uh, and then I tried to use some of my Google Foo to see if that is indeed like standard studio shorthand for first demo. And yeah, is that... I could not find anything to that effect. Um, mm. I mean, it it certainly doesn't sound ridiculous. Uh, I, I looked up, there's a, there's a list of things for which FD is an abbreviation. And I sort of, I looked through that list and I just plucked some of them out that seems like uh, they could be relevant. They could have, in some way, relevance to this song. So yeah, those are briefly. Uh, there's fixed deposit, floppy disk, full disclosure. Hey, name of a Fugazi oh, song. Yeah, another uh, great song. Also, fair disclosure. Um, I guess those are both uh, in legal contexts, uh, maybe abbreviated FD. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the medical world, both full dose. And forceps delivery. Um, I sort of doubt this song is about a forceps delivery, but uh, functional decomposition, which I I don't um, understand that well. Uh, and I also found so in optics, like in photography specifically, mm-hmm. there there's some like equations that might be relevant here. So, for example. Um, uh, if you're into photography at all, there there's like f-stop on on camera lenses, which uh, is just or like different settings for a lens, and apparently to get the number for the for the f-stop, uh, if we if we call that number n, the formula is n equals f slash d f divided by d, where f is the focal distance of the lens and d is the diameter of the lens pupil. So. Uh, oh. I mean, maybe if if Guy is into uh, photography, or maybe this is is partly due to their uh, friendship with Jem Cohen or Glenn Friedman or something. Who knows? It could have something to do with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Also, I I would note both my parents are photographers, uh-huh. and I grew I grew up around um, cameras like all the time, and so it's funny because I didn't even think about that, but I am familiar with f-stop on lenses because my dad is always talking about them. So that's that's a really interesting connection you made. Yeah, hard to say. And uh, along with full disclosure, there are a couple of other Fugazi songs, namely mm-hmm. "Fell Destroyed" and "Foreman's Dog," that mm-hmm. uh, that have the initials FD. There was wow. um, when I did the episode for "Fell Destroyed," um, yeah. Which uh, which I've recorded already, but uh, has not come out yet. Um, somebody commented on the on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook group that the the music in this song was like originally the music for Fell Destroyed. Um, I have not been able to confirm that, uh, so maybe there there is listening back to it. Maybe in Fell Destroyed, there's some similarity in the main riff here to the part in that song. Uh, mm-hmm. That comes right before those just like naked drum hits. That's like, I could see possibly slotting the riff to this song in there, uh, yeah. but I, I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to say. I'm curious where that person found that because if it's true, like that's awesome and good to know. But like, how do, how do people find out these th- things? 
Yeah, could be just a rumor, so I'm uh, I'm loath to repeat it. But um, either, yeah, this is a this is a podcast that really traffics in possibilities a lot of the time. So yeah, uh, why not? Totally. Maybe it has something to do with that. Um, originally, like when I when I first was listening to this, I thought maybe it was because it's like the riff goes between the notes of F and D, uh, but that's not actually the case. I was just I pulled out my guitar and was working it out. It seems like. Uh, the main riff goes uh, from from the note C down to like A flat and then goes back up. And then the other mm. guitar just goes between G and G sharp. So nothing to do with the notes F and D as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, basically all of which is to say a bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> I think that that's what makes it fun. Like, because I, I know you just said we talk about possibilities a lot in the show, which I really like doing. And like we don't know, and I think it's just fun to put out these ideas, and like the mystery is going to be there. But I'm I'm happy that it's there. Yeah, um, I guess it's um, it's one of those things that I'll put on the old list of stuff to ask the guys in the band if I get the chance <laughs> to uh, to talk to them about this stuff. Yeah, we talked about the riff a little bit, uh, the big, mm-hmm. heavy, uh, descending and ascending thing. Uh, I guess that's a, as good a place as any to to start talking about this song, because yeah. I, I mean, what's interesting, especially about that here, is that it happens. That riff happens at the end of "Floating Boy" earlier in the album end hits. Yeah, all these connections between FDA to floating to the end of "Floating Boy" to "No Surprise," the outro of that song, it it really is mysterious. But I also think it's cool that the band like carried these little threads of sections through the album. It is cool. Albums that do that, that sort of like reprise a, a motif or a theme like that, it, it just it makes the whole album feel like more of a grand affair. Like it feels elevated, like it's an opera or a musical or a symphony or something, right? Yeah, um, most definitely. That, like, yeah, not a lot of albums do it. Uh, I mean, famously, like, Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child, uh, parentheses, Slight Return. Mm-hmm. There's, like, an, an earlier thing on the album that was a slower sort of version of that. Um, in more recent years, I really love uh, Joanna Newsom, the singer, songwriter, harpist. Her album, Have One On Me, just does, like, a really effective reprise, like, the very last song is sort of the same melody as as an early song on that album. Can't think of of too many other examples in in the sort of pop music that I listen to. Yeah, I just wrote down the, those two because I want to listen to them again. So thank you for the recommendation. And also, it's, I think it's really cool and challenging that Fugazi did this because it's between three different songs on the album. And I can think of like I like the metal band Tool. They have like a parable into parabola, um, which are two songs that are connected, but they're like back to back right next to each other. And I think Fugazi kind of made it even more complicated by spreading the songs out. And but they still have that common theme. Yeah, Tool is an example of a band that like they sort of do that. They really think of their albums sometimes as like a uh, a grand project because that. The tracks that you just mentioned there, that's from Lateralis, right? Yeah. I think it's that album. And I I remember when that album came out, it was like everybody was talking about how 
it was based on the golden ratio or something and like, <laughs> or a Fibonacci sequence and every song was like related mathematically to each other in that way. Some bizarre yeah. thing like that. Um, yeah. The, speaking of, speaking of bass guitar, by the way, the other thing I remember when that album came out, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like I was, I mean, I don't know. I was in college at the time, but I remember mm-hmm. everybody who played bass was playing that one riff. You know, you know the song I'm talking about. What what song am I thinking of? Um, 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 I know the pieces fit. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Schism. Uh, schism. Because that's that nice, that really nice bass intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you you would go into a guitar center into the like bass area. There would be somebody there playing schism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a really cool Justin Chancellor line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so funny. That's a great story. <laughs> anyway, that's quite a tangent. Um, yeah. But, totally. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think if we're talking about just that that main riff of the song, the other thing we have to address is the time signature. Yes, a, of course. A bit of a of a of an outside uh, move for Fugazi. They don't do too many odd time signature songs. Uh, this seems to be in nine eight. Uh, would you agree with that? If you're uh, if you're familiar with counting like that, I would. I I am no by no means an expert or close to expert counter, but um, trying to get the pulse along to it, I thought it was something close to that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not the most complicated thing in the world, but it is. If uh, it's something different, if you're not used to listening to, I don't know prog rock or math rock or or whatever that uses odd time signatures like that yeah really cool feeling to it um because so for so many of the songs the band is just functioning in four four which i think is amazing because they do so much such a variety of stuff within this one time signature so but also when they add into this go into this nine eight thing it's like it's a new level to me yeah and i mean going going to a new level i think that's part of what makes this song so effective how the the very beginning of the song is is that little thing that ian is doing and singing mm-hmm. and the transition from that part to the gi part is like enormous in its contrast because it's like contrasting in every single way so like yeah. there's first of all there's just the sound of it right it's this sort of really lo-fi pinched thing i was trying to imagine how they did that exactly like it sounds as if uh like somebody's taking a crappy phone recording of ian doing vocals and he himself is like like the band is the rest of the band is playing in another room to isolate the sound because ian ian's vocals are sort of lo-fi and crappy and the rest of the band is even harder to hear even uh, smaller and further away so yeah I, I hear i really hear what you mean it's it's we, it's like really not fugazi that like lo-fi sound i don't think and and aside from the sound the actual music that's going on is very um i, I don't know very like amateurish it's that that part that ian's it sounds like something that maybe is really old and that ian wrote a long time ago and that they never got got around to like making into an actual song because they didn't think it was very good like i don't know do you feel that way i i do and i know you always talk about lyrics which i'm kind of skipping to but i just want to yeah add this little note in in that part that ian's singing he's using these like rhyme these rhyme rhyming words 
but there it's like it's like uh son and one bitch and stitch it's like very like almost mother goose like playful child rhymes to me <laughs> yeah it feels like something it feels to me like something a high school punk band would write and <laughs> and, and i mean like not only the lyrics but just a uh, simple four chord riff no totally straight ahead nothing <sighs> odd about it um i i did also <clears throat> just to just to mention this in the episode for epic problem i mentioned that 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 part does bear some similarity to the that that central part of of the song epic problem where sort of yeah. things drop out um and like i said in that episode my my theory is that ian sort of turned this into something better and cooler for epic problem than that uh, so i don't know if it's, if if it's the same thing that just evolved or or what but uh, that's my theory yeah that epic problem section when everything drops out and it's just the guitar, like that's one of my favorite Fugazi moments, I think. Yeah, it's I I do like it, and it's almost the same tempo and the same rhythm, uh, and many of the same chords as mm-hmm. what Ian's playing here. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? It's it's a possibility. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyway, it it all adds up to the transition. Which, by the way, happens when Ian says, "You know, pull the switch," which is nice. Um, the transition from that part to the Gee part is like so crazy because Gee is like screaming, and he's uh, the the song goes into this weird nine eight time signature thing that's almost psychedelic, and the line is sort of like has this chromatic thing happening, and the lyrics are just bizarre. So, so like everything about it <laughs> yeah. is different, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I really love. I've, I've noticed this in other Fugazi songs. They kind of like, I would say it's it's self-referential, or like the the music is a reference to the lyrics, and the lyrics allude to the music. So when Ian says it's time to pull the switch, um, and and the whole song completely changes, I'm really into that. I think that's a a really fascinating thing that they put to use. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like um, I think there's a word for it that's like tone painting or. Oh, something like that. I I don't I'm remember gonna, the term for it. Yeah, I I think that's a really cool use of it. Tone painting. We could talk about some of those lyrics and see if we can make sense <laughs> of them. What do you think? Do, do you have a Do you have a take on what this song means? Oh man, that's the. I've been thinking about it ever since I I knew we were doing this song, and I will admit I did not get very far with Gee's section especially that middle section um i i i I believe or i think that it's like has to do with economics or class something with money related but the thing i love about gi is that it's so open-ended and it's so cryptic that you don't know and that's why i love it so much um but i'm curious what do you think yeah i the Basically, my main idea is that it seems like the central line is is sell what we can't own. Right? Yeah. We always sell what we can't own. And it seems like if you just take that and work backwards from there, that's where the meaning of the song is going to be because like that's the that's the line to me that has the most impact. Yeah. Um so I mean that said, I don't know I don't claim to know exactly what's ta- what it's talking about, but yeah, something about economics and selling things, marketing things. Um, I guess 
the the whole section touch with your eyes drool with my eyes and touch with your mind drool with my mind etc etc like what is what does that mean to to drool with your mind or eyes i i'm guessing it just means to to covet something to really desire something um i was thinking the same thing yeah to be so but also drool is drooling with your eyes have to do with crying or like feeling sad about something yeah like i i mean the most literal meaning of of that i i can't think of anything <laughs> closer than that um <laughs> Yeah, just just could mean I don't know metaphorically just salivating um, based on something that you're seeing and really wanting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the actual verse, I, like I think there there's a lot there that is in the language of sensuality and the human body and like I mean pornography also. Like, yeah. Like, so. Th- the very first word, pornsmanship, which I, I've never heard before. I think yeah. that's maybe a made-up word, so congrats to Guy if it is. <laughs> <laughs> that reminded me of reading or like learning about Lewis Carroll, who did Alice in Wonderland, because in that there are these words that Carroll just created, and the reader can kind of gather the meaning from them just because of like how the word sounds or how it combines already existing words. Sure. And, Twas brillig uh, and the slithy uh, toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe exactly yeah. <laughs> like and he did that like that's so so amazing yeah uh i i can i can see that parallel that's a good one i i, I don't think i'd put that together with lewis carroll and uh and gee that's nice <laughs> gee is very dodgsonian to use uh <laughs> to use lewis carroll's real name um <laughs> but yeah and so it's not only pornsmanship but you know the line shoulder blades and things concave I guess things concave means to me like I don't know just curves right the curves of somebody's body um mm-hmm. so I so what I'm building to is like I think you can read the song as maybe like about pornography to some extent um every yeah. every smile that marks a lie passed in code as real <sighs> desire right like somebody acting on camera as if they're uh, full of sexual desire but of course it's just business I, I like I think that thread you can carry through so i think it's possible that this song is either about that or that it's about selling uh things in general selling concepts in general and just using the language of human sensuality to uh to execute that i'm not sure which yeah is intended maybe both yeah i, I definitely see where you're going with that for me, I get a little confused because after that part about real desire goes into the dressed in silk and flavored milk, bread and bone, and finally honed. So that's what that's what made me think of like class and economics. Um, it's to me, I think he's describing like wealthy bourgeoisie people, maybe, but it could also tie into your your thread about pornography. So as I said earlier, what I really enjoy about this is that it can go so many ways. There's so many. There are words that just this the simple word itself can bring so many associations to mind, um, and of course, a good writer is aware of that and 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 knows that and uses it to good effect. So, you know, it could be just things that that bring it all uh, to bear at at the same time. Yeah, most definitely. I I in this song I see a lot of like juxtapositions or comparisons 
for instance, like Ian sings and then Guy sings, and there's these two different distinct parts, and you, you can kind of compare how Ian sings versus how Guy sings. And this last line, selling but we always sell, what we always sell, what we can't own, that's so reminiscent to me of merchandise. And Ian, Ian more anthemically exclaiming that you are not what you are, what you own, which is a totally great line, which I think a lot of Fugazi fans feel attached to. So while Ian says that, I like how Guy is so so playful with his language and uses these complex sentence structures to like almost say the same thing, but but put it out there in such a different way. In that same way, I also see a common ground with Cassavetes where Guy says, if it's not for sale, you can't buy it. So ah, yes. So while Ian says you are not what you own, Guy has something to say about things that you can't buy and things that you can't own in this song. So of course that you know that raises the question: What is it that we sell, but but that we can't own? And so I mean, the first thing that I thought of when thinking about this song is that is it's talking about like literally Fugazi themselves talking about what they sell, which is music. And mm-hmm. uh, it raises the question, uh, to what degree can that be owned? Which is sort of an interesting question, and I think it applies to a lot of different kinds of art and has applied strongly uh, ever since sort of the internet became a thing. When it comes to the idea of music being owned, like let's if we reduce that further to like a really memorable short poem... Like, you know, like Fire and Ice by Robert Frost, for example, something like that, something that's easily memorized, right? I have never bought a book Mm -hmm. with that poem in it, I don't think. Um, I've never spent money to own it, but yet I know that poem word for word. It's in my brain. So, like, do I own it? Um, I have not... I have not bought it from the person who created it. It's sort of like when you create something like that, a short work of... Uh, of just simply wordsmithery that can be memorized. It's almost like as soon as you create it, you don't own it anymore. You like put it out into the world. And if somebody wants it, they they can just sort of have it and it's theirs. And so uh, to, to just extend that further, um, I mean, of course, if you have the mental capacity to memorize a whole book, I mean, same idea. But when it, yeah, when it comes to music, I mean, I think the ownership <laughs> of music is a relatively recent idea and that only really came about with the advent of recording media. Like before that, the idea of owning music would be like you'd you would buy sheet music and you play it on the family piano in the parlor like that every like it's like almost every house used to have a piano and people knew how to play stuff like that uh but then yeah there's this weird 20th century idea that we developed of of owning music and that almost sort of went away quickly in the 21st century as music as like you know napster kicked off this wave of digital file sharing that's like it's it's so easy to to (laughs) you know, have music and, and sort of quote unquote own it without paying for it. Or even if you <laughs> do pay, pay for it, it's like you're streaming from a service that's either you pay for or you indirectly pay for by listening to advertising. And it's, um, and there's other things like that, that the internet has enabled, like of course. You know, photography. Um, 
maybe your parents have an outlook on this being photographers, but I mean, there was a time when you would like have to buy a nice print of a photo if you liked it. And with the internet, anyone can just sort of like right click on a picture and, and own it more or less. Uh, and so it's like, it's a very new way in that, you know, people are selling or trying to sell to whatever extent they can something that it's harder and harder to own. So yeah, these are just a few of the things that go through my mind when I think about that line. That's 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 like a great point. I didn't even think about that. It brings up so many questions and like the legality of like stealing or owning music and like what does that mean? Um, it's so there's so much there. You know, one of the, one of the things about uh, talking to a member of the younger generation, as I'm doing here, is like I always feel like. It's hard to explain. I feel really grateful <laughs> to be almost the part of the last generation who remembers what the world was like before the internet. It's like such a crazy change. It changed so many things. I'm not one of these people who's like necessarily saying life was better uh -huh. before, although I do feel that way often when it comes to certain aspects of the internet. But yeah, as I said, I'm just grateful that I experienced the world in both ways so that I have that sort of thing to think back on um yeah it, it was a strange time and it's a strange time now and the transition has been well strange i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah i th i think it would be really hard going through that transition like hearing what you said and talking to older family members like it doesn't seem like it's an easy thing to get used to so i i guess i I'm, I guess I would say I got lucky that I don't I don't have to go through those changes it's always been one way for me. I think it's I don't know I think it's almost too easy to get used to. Like uh, I mean everyone my age adapted to it cuz they sort of were teenagers when when that change was first happening. Mm -hmm. Um yeah it's it's almost like we we too easily slid into a new world where we were like, well, we don't buy music anymore. And so it's like, it's harder to support artists that way. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was all seductively easy, uh, when that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm interested in this like pre-internet relationship with music because it was all about like buying the physical items like a CD or cassette or record. And, that's something I kind of wish I had this like physical relationship with a tangible piece of music. Cause for me, so much of my Fugazi catalog is just like my Spotify account or stuff I've downloaded to iTunes. And it, I feel like there's something missing cause I never had that experience of like flipping through the booklet and reading the lyrics as I listened to the record. And that's like something I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I I hadn't thought about this until you just said that, but there was a news item. Maybe you saw it recently, um, just yesterday or the day before. That this year, twenty twenty, as we speak, vinyl records outsold CDs for the first time since CDs became the dominant uh, medium. Whoa! Yeah, so there <laughs> there is something to that. There, like more people are who do sense some value in having like a, a physical uh, like totem as, as part of their music listening experience. Yeah. They go with the vinyl. I, I think there are a lot of reasons to do that. It's uh, it, it feels more substantial, more real. You got the nice big album artwork and the <laughs> liner notes that you can look through. It's cool. I like, I feel that way myself. I have a small yeah. vinyl record collection and I do enjoy it. 
Um, although, uh-huh. yeah, to be honest, I myself, like most of my music listening is, is digital. It's just that much more convenient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, all kind of a bit of a tangent, but, um, that's, yeah. If, if we assume, if we assume that Fugazi is talking, if, that Guy is talking about Fugazi selling music, um, those are, those all are things that play into it, but I don't yeah. know, uh, like I think we were mentioning earlier, it it could go beyond that, and it could be about uh, class and marketing in general, um, making people covet things. It could have that relationship to pornography, but also like I mean, a common criticism of a lot of marketing is that it is very sexualized. Like no matter what the product is, it sort of uses sex appeal and the human body to sell that product. So in that way, it's like, you know, selling what we can't own, like desiring, uh, you know, people in that way. And I know uh, in one episode you mentioned that used to be an English teacher. And I remember in high school English class, we were like going through Shakespeare and the old English trying to basically translate it into language that we as the students used. And I would I would think like I would much rather try to sit down and go through Guy Pachotto's lyrics much more than Shakespeare or basically any other writer because, like, they're so fascinating. Guy makes you work for it. Like, you have to be really engaged to uh, to ex- to analyze some of his songs, for sure. Yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> if we're going to go into that last part, the end hits part, something, I was thinking about voices and who, who speaks slash sings on Fugazi albums. And the early ones, it's only Ian and Guy, and later we hear Joe a little bit. But I think this song is interesting because you hear another voice, and I, I believe it's um, Don from Inner Ear Studios. I think so, too. But like, are there any other Fugazi songs where you hear anyone else speaking? Ooh, or singing? good question. Anybody else speaking? I think I mentioned before in the episode for By You, um, uh-huh. at the very end of the of that feedback section like some somebody is sort of like yelling in triumph and oh yeah uh maybe it's uh, it's hard to say who it is maybe maybe don's one of those people maybe it's like <laughs> somebody else who's in the room uh helping them track things i don't know yeah so that was just something that came to mind because we're as fugazi listeners we're really used to mostly only hearing ian and Guy. so i thought it was cool that they chose to include someone else. Oh, um, of course, uh, there is, there's one or two female backup singers on some oh. songs in the argument. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's let me look that up real quick. We have Bridget Cross doing backing vocals on "Life and Limb" and "Full Disclosure." Kathy mm-hmm. Wilcox doing backing vocals on "Full Disclosure." Bikini Kill, yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, Okay, so so those are <laughs> those are a couple of things that I guess we should yeah, point out. Definitely great to note. Yeah, those those end hits. Uh, of course, <laughs> this is where the title of the album comes from, and I guess that's worth mentioning. There some there was speculation that when the album came out, that like this would be Fugazi's last album because of that name, but it's actually just these little uh, drum hits from like demos or or takes from the song no surprise and yeah yeah what so what don actually says there is uh i guess the word no is cut off but he says no surprise end hits take one it's rolling 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where that comes from. Yeah, it, it made me wonder where that decision came from to to put to put this stuff at the end of the song, to end the song and to end the album this way. Because, you know, when you think about it, there must be, I mean, tons of little studio outtakes like that that they could have used. Why did they pick this and why did they end, <laughs> end the song that way? It really does seem like the culmination of the album, as in that it's explaining the title. But I also think it's like, it kind of seems like they're having fun. They're like, ooh, and actually, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just making this up. But it's like, oh, end hits. The people are going to think that this might be our last thing. Of course, like, I don't know what they were thinking at the time. But by the time the listener gets to the last song, they realize that end hits is just a word for like drum drum hits that they're playing. So it's it's kind of playful to me. And it's sort of anticlimactic in a playful way. I mean, <laughs> even just beyond the the title of the of the album. I I mean this the song FD is is sort of like a real big heavy song to end with and then yeah. this these little these little snippets of of drum hits sort of deflate <laughs> that in a in a playful way as you said yeah uh, there yeah. Is, so, some friends were telling me about this like listening exercise that they heard about which is basically going through an album but instead of going the order that the songs are in he's going backwards and I would like to do that with end, end hits because it, it's all explained in the first song if you're going backwards. Um, and it, I think it would also just be interesting to hear everything in the opposite order. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Have you done that with other albums and has it revealed something interesting to you about them? Uh, I've done it a little bit, but unfortunately I, I haven't made any amazing <laughs> uh, <laughs> amazing discoveries but I, I think just for like the fun of listening because that's like my top activity just in life um, it's just fun to do right um, yeah I mean also we were talking before a little about CDs and these end hits it sort of reminds me of what was at one time a pretty common thing which was to have like a secret track on an album uh huh uh-huh. um, do you remember this? Like, uh, it would be sometimes like, uh, sometimes just minutes and minutes of silence at the end of the last song on the album, and then uh, the this like final secret little track would come in, be it a secret song or or just a, a little snippet of whatever. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. What are you talking about? I believe the I believe the first example of that was like. Train in Vain by The Clash. Oh, uh, great song, yeah. Yeah. I think that was I mean, of course that first came out on vinyl, I guess, but I think I remember it was just like never on the on the track listing of what was on the album. It was just sort of, hey, here's another song at the end and it ironically is one of their biggest hits of their whole career. <laughs> what I find interesting about that is if you look at like Spotify or iTunes today and you go to London Calling Train in Vain is its own track. It's not in Revolution Rock anymore. So with like the streaming, it kind of the secretness of it has disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I guess makes sense since people love that song so much. But it's not even secret anymore. I yeah. I also remember there would be uh, some CDs would have a ton of different like blank tracks like the last song on the album would be track 13 and there'd be like mm -hmm. track 14 which is a few seconds of silence and 15 16 and then finally on track 99 
there would be like some little secret track so yeah a bunch of bands just did funny stuff like that um yeah yeah just kind of reminds me of that a little bit one thing i did want to mention too just because i thought it was interesting is on live versions of this song uh, when the band did yeah. it live uh mostly the same except for uh the part where Gee sings that little uh verse is the whole There's... band drops out uh, including Gee like nobody's playing guitar it's just his naked voice singing mm-hmm. and also it seems to me that at least in the live versions that I was watching he says sell what you can't own instead of sell what we can't own I don't know if that's something to to read into but um it's uh it's just one of those interesting ways that they changed it up a little bit when they did right. things live. I wonder In why preparation. that is. Well, like, was that guitar part a little hard to play while you sing? I don't know. Yeah. In preparation for this episode, I also watched a bunch of F slash D live and I noticed those same things. So it made me wonder on the recording in the studio, who do you think recorded that guitar? It did always strike me as a, as a gee thing. Yeah. Although the tone of it is a little more beautiful than than the tone I associate with either Gee or Ian. Um, yeah. Maybe that's part of it. Like maybe it's hard to <laughs> capture the same sort of thing with their uh, raging amplifiers that they were using live. Did, I was like, why did doesn't Ian just play it with him live? But at the same time, it's just hearing Gee's naked voice live in those videos is really nice and it's just like rend it um yes really really beautiful if we're talking about beauty or like what is beautiful music i really believe and i would love for someone to disagree with me on this that from that one minute mark to about just under one and a half minutes in f slash d when it's just gee singing with the guitar I really believe that is the most beautiful moment in any Fugazi song. Just hmm. how he's how he's singing the guitar. It's it's so it's like ah, like it really gets me. <laughs> but also, if you don't agree, like I would love to hear what you think or what other people think are the most beautiful Fugazi moments. That's a really good question. I think that could be right up there. Something that comes to mind is the part in argument that is just the instrumental part that's a little like spooky watery Um, yeah that's really nice yeah um what else what else comes to mind i don't associate a lot of their earlier music with being quote-unquote beautiful as much as some uh, i think a lot of the stuff on end hits and the arguments yeah uh, have an easier time laying claim to that um yeah Last chance for a slow dance, I mm. think, is is quite beautiful, especially the very end of it. I'm a fan of that. Yeah, and, I can definitely hear that. Uh, maybe, um, I don't know. Yeah, those are a couple things that come to mind. I guess I'll uh, leave some more for our uh, our Facebook uh, friends to comment if they if they would on the page for the alphabetical Fugazi. Uh, yeah. which some people have already done for this song. So I guess I'll shout out just a few of those people. So uh, Pete Fraser says about FD, just the heaviest groove. I thought I had the wrong record on when I first heard it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with that that time signature. It's like, well, yeah. who are these guys? 
Yeah, that the Joe Lolly bass, I, it doesn't like stand up, stand out to me as much as it does usually in other songs, but it really is a really great groove. And yeah, the bass is holding. He's sort of like just going along with the the riff that the that one guitar is playing, and they're just yeah. sort of locking in together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, previous guest Jared Coffin says, "I love this song. It's my favorite on the album, especially how they play it." Uh, early in the album and then they come back and revisit it later in FD um, mm-hmm. yeah definitely it's a, it's a pretty cool reprise another former guest Rudy Bain says you know how there are songs that frustrate the crap out of you because it has a part or hook that feels so good but you can't be satisfied due to how few times it reoccurs in the song well this song has three of those parts <laughs> I, I really I really connect with what Rudy said <laughs> yeah same <laughs> some uh that you know what that made me think of? There's a song by the band Soul Asylum called Misery, which I anytime I hear that song, I think of it. It's like this song is genius. Like it has three different parts, and they're all awesome. Like a lot of mm. songs that have a few different parts. Like one of them is like, okay, we're just killing time to get to the cool chorus. But occasionally, you get a song that has all these distinct parts, and they're all so cool. That's one of those songs for me. Yeah, and with FD, I almost see it. I, I really don't listen to classical music, but I see it as like a symphony has different movements, basically like long sections. That's how I kind of see this song. The the Ian is the first movement, the Gee second, and then the final movement is the end hits. And finally, Colin Mack says, "Yeah, the most interesting thing for me is the main riff appearing at the end of Floating Boy. I think this is the only Fugazi song to do something like that." Uh, I guess it's the only song of theirs also to then have a secret ending. Um, mm-hmm. I find it funny, these people that you're reading their comments, it's not like I've met any of them in person ever, but just this community that you've built with the Facebook and the podcast, which I'm really happy to be a part of. It's cool because I recognize these names and like <laughs> I'll have the frequent conversation with one of them just about the music. So it's cool that uh, you're doing that. <laughs> Yeah, and thanks for being a part of that yourself. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great to, to have you as part of that. So, Oliver, I think it's time to talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? So, just, uh, you know how it goes from a scale of one star to five stars in the context of the Fugazi catalog. What do you think about FD? Uh, how Ooh. does it rate for you? For me, it's a four, maybe a 3.5. I lean more towards four because of that middle section, which I find to be so beautiful. Um, but if I'm listening to the song on its own, not in the context of the album, that those final hits, it's like uh, it seems a little disconnected to me as much as I do love the song. So that's why I could put it at a three and a half. How about you, Ian? Yeah, I think... I mean, when I think of it as a song proper, I don't really consider the the end hits to be part of the song, right? It's just like part of them putting the album together and the the sort of, I mean, it's sort of in the same way that when I think about Do You Like Me as a song, I like I don't really <laughs> consider that, that noise intro to be part of it. It's just sort of part of their album craft. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to go four stars for this. It's... Uh, it's a huge riff. It's a cool time signature. The lyrics are like mind bending and and sort of um, <laughs> just yeah, the, just 
I think just part of it is just like Guy's use of the word drool as like mm-hmm. the main refrain of a song is so <laughs> it's so weird and cool. It's such a Guy thing to do. I really like that. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, it's uh it's a really cool song and of course uh, as we've talked about there's there's a lot of mystery in it around the title, around the lyrics that's uh that's fun to think about. So, yeah, I think four stars for me. Awesome. So nothing else to do but uh plugs if you have any uh do you have like uh social media accounts where listeners can reach you or any projects that you're working on whatever yeah um i always feel weird like advertising myself but i guess i will because this is a great place to do it i'm in a band called static tv you can find us on instagram at static tv band um other than that, I don't have any other plugs, really. I would just say I wanted to thank you, Ian, because like this community that you've formed, like it really means a lot to me, especially being someone who hangs out with people who don't really listen to Fugazi. So I'm glad that there are other people who love them as much as I do. Well, thanks very much for saying so. It means a lot to me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm surprised every day that... Uh, the the podcast has taken off with some people um i knew it would be sort of a niche thing uh, but i'm i'm glad it's found its people and um hey listeners uh it could find more people if you want to spread the word a little recommend it to a friend or uh, give a rating to the podcast on apple podcasts that would be pretty cool and you can reach me as always at fugazi a to z at gmail.com And you can join the Facebook group that I previously mentioned, The Alphabetical Fugazi. Anything we missed about this song, feel free to say it there. You can talk about our next song there, which uh, I hope you'll join me for next week when we'll be discussing Facet Squared. Until then, keep your eyes open.